I will never write a single line which I have not first felt in my own heart. He'll teach you everything. Truer words were never spoken. All right. Language and writing were made available. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Hey, I'm John. This is John Helps You Write Better. And if I've scheduled this correctly, you are hearing this on Thursday, December 22nd. Now, I don't normally record episodes on Friday. And because this coming Monday is a holiday for a lot of people, and I very infrequently take full days off, I'm taking Monday, December 25th off. So you'll get this episode today. And the next time we'll talk is Tuesday, December the 26th. I hope that's okay. All right, on to today's episode, which is, you know, it's a story. It's an interesting story that isn't so much about uh, like a writing technique or anything, but it's something that happened to me and it's really, really stuck in my head and I really, really want to talk about it. So let me give you some context first. I am a writing coach and developmental editor. Uh, That basically means... I help people write better. I teach you the writing things you need to know. I help you put them on the page. I help you build better books. I help you make better plots, create better characters, tell better stories overall. Not only giving you the tools on how to do that, but once you write it, I will also edit it for you. One of the advantages to being a coaching client is that you get editing along the way. You don't have to go out and pay for an additional editor unless you want. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but yeah, you could totally do that. Sure, why not? But I am one of those very, very rare unicorns in the publishing adjacent industry where I will coach and edit you to help you get from wherever you're at to a published book, whether that's traditional publishing or self-publishing. This is what I live for. This is what I love to do. I've been doing this job in some way, shape, or form even though I didn't always know what it was called, I've been doing this job since about the middle of 1997. So I, I've got a lot of experience and I've been doing this a lot and I've seen a lot of people in my field come and go. Now that said, there's something we need to talk about, at least when it comes to me and how I've perceived myself in my field because I did not always have the most traditional route or the most expected route from start to finish. I had to bounce around a few schools for a number of issues, be they mental health crises or physical health crises, or just, you know, I wanted to stick it to my dad who's an asshole. So I I didn't take it very seriously. And I didn't have a, you know, go to one school, go get a degree, go on to get other degrees and move forward in a linear progression. I hopscotched around for a little bit. And while I was in school, I was also working in the industry. I worked in several industries at the same time because I was a young kid who didn't know how to say no and just really wanted everybody to like me. So I ended up taking on a lot of jobs some in film, some in publishing, some in radio, some cleaning roadkill, some doing, you know, videography work, lots of different stuff for lots of different reasons. But it was always in and around the idea of helping people craft and shape a story more often than not. And 
despite starting in the you know the late 90s and being an apprentice to somebody back when the old model for learning how to do things was apprentices and then sort of being discharged um despite that despite all the education and all the resources and the luck and the privilege i had of being in and around new york city um pre 911 going through 911 that whole first you know, crazy couple years afterwards as capitalism put more and more of a stranglehold on everything in the world crumbled and collapsed and collapsed and collapsed and collapsed. I, I've been doing this job and I've so often felt like I knew what I was doing. I'm very good at the doing my job part of this. I know what to do. I'm very good at explaining things. And it can be a real pleasure for someone to come get answers to their questions. And I like answering questions. I'm helpful. I like helping. It's great. That said, I know there are other people who do this job. They might call it something slightly different, but it's functionally the same job, which includes talking to writers, giving them notes, writing them emails, working on manuscripts with them, helping them organize ideas, and then sort of sending them off into the world to go do whatever. And I, because I'm me and I was raised in an emotionally and physically abusive home that was cold and neglectful and, and you know, not really the most supportive, loving environment in the world, uh, I... I was raised to believe that I was inherently not good enough, like at all. No matter what I did, there were always reasons to be critical. Whatever I did, there were always reasons to find fault. And no matter the size of the fault, it was the presence of fault that indicated to me that clearly I wasn't good enough because the only way to be good enough would be to be perfect. And perfect was a set of moving goalposts. It wasn't enough to be 100% technically flawless. You, that was a bare minimum. You, you, shouldn't do, you shouldn't do any work. You don't deserve any reward. You don't even deserve credit or mention if you can't automatically get 100% flawless in the action you're taking. You need to go above and beyond and predict like five other things that need to get covered to demonstrate that you're at least thoughtful and considerate and Christian and all this other horse shit. So it always left me feeling like I was never good enough and everybody else, no matter what, was always going to be better. They were going to be smarter. They were going to be richer. They were going to be more successful. They were going to be braver. They were going to be more outgoing. They weren't going to be a fuck up. They were always better, whatever that might mean, in whatever way that means. And it really made me feel like a constant underdog. I always had to prove myself. I was always hungry to like, I'll show you, you know, and, and everybody was a, was a jock in an eighties movie where I, the nerdy kid had to like one up them somehow. And I, I built my entire life. I built my identity around my work. I worked a lot. I worked in not great conditions. I worked often in denial of, who and what I am. I, I didn't accept any kind of like labels on identity or, or feelings I may had for people or anything like that because I, I just automatically wasn't good enough. So what the hell's the point of, of accepting who I am or having a label or anything like that? I was just me and everybody's better than me. So I go through most of my life, which is 90% work and 10% everything else. Although for a while it did slide to like 
45% work and 55% drinking and drugs. But even then it was always because, well, I'm doing these bad things. I'm harming my body. I'm, I'm, I'm massively depressed. I'm, I'm considering no longer being alive uh, because I'm so worthless compared to everybody else. That was the position I was in for, let's see, I'm 45 now. So let's say for about 44.9 years of my life, I was always in the position really up until a couple weeks ago that everybody was better than me no matter what. And my evidence for that was always, well, they have more money than I do. They seem to have more clients than I do. They're way more popular on social media. They, you know, they, they fit the right, you know, they know the right things to say and they fit in with the right groups and everybody seems to like them and people go out of their way to tell them that they're nice. And I'm, I've always thought I'm not nice. I can be kind, but not necessarily nice. And I give a shit about people, but I'm not always universally nice. And I will, I'll be, you can ask anybody I've ever dated. Uh, I, I can be difficult and prickly and poorly communicative and surly and mean. I have that in me. It's just a thing and I'm working on it. And I thought because of those factors, plus the fact that, hey, everybody else has got to be better than me by default, that no matter how well I worked, other people would just be more successful. And, you know, while I never thought I'd be in my 40s and I'd be standing in food bank lines on the regular or I'd be, you know, asking people, hey, do you have like $5 so I can get some soup? Or I'd be stealing things from grocery stores some days. Like I never thought I'd be there in life. But um, I always assumed everybody else would be, you know, buying homes and getting married and having kids and going on vacations and all that other shit because I wasn't good enough. And what happened over time was that I was staying busy and doing my best. And the people who I worked with, my clients, always had a great experience, even when it didn't work out. And, I, you know, I've only had to fire, you know, about four or five people in in. 20 plus years of work, even those people learned and benefited from something. We just didn't mesh for whatever reason, or they were an asshole to me. Um, but by and large, everybody's had good things to say once they sat down and did the work. And I would like to think I've made everybody better along the way as best I can when I can. But sometimes due to scheduling, that means I can't take on a project because I'm booked at the time or I've got, I've got all my fingers and all these other pies and I have no other fingers for free time. I can't take on another client. I can't spare the time or I don't have just the focus or for whatever reason, some clients, some people decide, Hey, I'm going to go somewhere else. I can't afford you, John, or you're busy or I'm busy. So I'm going to go somewhere else. So they go to one of my competitors doesn't matter which one they go to. There's there's plenty out there. You've seen them on the internet if you've ever like hung around Twitter and checked out the hashtag writing community and seen people who are advertising chats and, and Q&As and Zoom classes and all that stuff. A lot of those people, yeah, they're, they're my competition for one reason or another. And I always assumed, because everybody's better than me, that they're doing better work than I'm doing. So when somebody goes to one of these editors, when somebody goes to one of these coaches and gets, you know, pages, a manuscript, whatever they need done. And then they come back to me because all of a sudden, you know, after a certain number of days, weeks, months, hours, my time is freed back up. 
all of a sudden now, like they're talking to me about the experience they had with this other coach. And when it used to happen when I was younger, because it, it happened a, f- a fair few times, I would always take it as some kind of like grave insult. Like, oh my God, I'm so not good enough. These people have come back to tell me and remind me I'm not good enough. I, I'm, I'm having my nose kind of rubbed in my, my shittiness. Awful. Hate it. But over the last, let's say, five or so years, when people have gone to other editors or they've been to other editors first and then come to me, they, they talk about their editing experience or they talk about their coaching experience. And it sounds to me like those other people who I always thought were like way, way better than me, it sounds like they're from another planet. It sounds like they're doing something entirely, completely different. I don't know what they're doing, but it sure doesn't sound like anything like what I'm doing. So sometimes these people bring me their notes. They bring me, hey, look at this manuscript somebody else edited. Hey, here are the notes I got from a coaching session. Why does this feel so different from what you're doing, from what you, John, are doing? And a lot of the time, the the thing tacked onto that is, I like working with you, John, better than them. You you have more detail. You explain things better. You're better at it. And it was shocking to me to read different people and their notes from different edits where the editor just says that there's a problem. Like, up oh, adverb, up oh, passive voice, oh, uh, uh, verb conjugation or whatever. No explanation, no suggestion on how to change it. No, like, reason why, hey, this scene isn't working. No explanation past that. Just existence of a problem as opposed to transforming it into an explanation and a teachable moment with options. And I'm reading these comments and I'm reading these notes and I'm talking to these people and I'm getting their experiences. And it's occurring to me that I'm not feeling personally attacked. I'm not feeling slighted. I'm feeling disappointed. I'm disappointed that these people, these clients, who I care about, even if I haven't worked with them in 10 years, I care. I want to know how they're doing. I follow them on social media. I care when their kids graduate, when their kids get sick, when they get married, when their dog dies, when, you know, they, when they do this or do that. I want to show up and be a loud supporter because that's what I promised to do way back when we were working on a book or something. But I'm, I'm reading the notes and the ideas and, and listening to the anecdote of the experience with my competition. And I see my competition not doing what I expect them to do. And I'm disappointed in them. They're supposed to be better than me. They're supposed to be like working circles around me because they're talking about how they just bought a new house or they went on vacation or they bought a car or they have this experience or they travel or they just upgraded all their shit to the latest top-end computer stuff or they're talking about doing this or they're making a new class or they're going over here with this thing. They're laying out this whole big experience just on the back of what sounds like an infinite number of ongoing successes. And if they're that successful and they're that popular on social media and I'm not supposed to be good enough, these people must be amazing. So therefore the work they do must be extraordinary. It must be, 
you know, deific. It must be this amazing level of critique and response and theory and footnotes and strategy. And me looking at it is sort of like uh, the way I've always framed it in my head is like a, a middle schooler or a, a, like a sixth or seventh grader watching uh, a Michael Jordan or a LeBron or a Kobe Bryant like instructional video. You're watching a pro at the height of their power explain something that you are at best fumbling with. And I'm reading these notes and I'm going through all this stuff and I'm not watching Kobe, Michael, and LeBron. I'm watching, you know, not them. I'm, I'm watching, I'm not even watching the All-Star game. I'm watching bench players at best. I'm watching people under-explain things. I'm reading notes that don't make sense. I'm reading notes that are wrong, that are citing incorrect material, or that are explaining things poorly, or who have missed the point, or who aren't reading carefully, who are flagging things that aren't actual errors because they're part of the authorial voice, or because they're just part of the way the character has constructed, or they're just part of the way the room is being described. Like, they're flagging things that would be you know, if we were following the rules of writing and grammar and structure perfectly, if, if we were inflexible to our Chicago manual of style, then yes, all these things would be wrong. But we forget that we are not making widgets at the widget factory. We're creating art. So there's some wiggle room. And, and I'm reading these notes and these reports, and I'm talking to these authors who have tried other people out, and I realize that I'm good at what I do. And I'm doing more than these other people are doing. And I'm charging less than those people are charging. And I'm generally faster than those people. I am better suited, better skilled, better situated to help people, to accomplish my goal of making sure people write better. I'm doing more. But those are the motherfuckers out there who are talking about, like, I'm going on vacation and I just, you know, bought a new home and I got a boat and here's an RV and here are the three dogs I adopted and here's the this and here's the that and we just went to Italy and I'm over here like, okay, so you know when you have to break into a Target dumpster, you want to use this kind of bolt cutter and you want to make sure you stand in a certain way because there's probably going to be a cold wind at 1 o'clock in the morning. I wonder why there's that discrepancy. And I've sat in this space of discomfort, of this feeling of like, hey, maybe I'm not so bad after all. And I have racked my brain with what it is I'm supposed to be doing to deal with this feeling because it's really hard to change something that I have made fundamental to my identity in and around work and in and around myself. I'm supposed to be the underdog. I'm supposed to be the kid picked on by the bullies in the 80s movies. I'm supposed to be the one who's not good at this. And those people are supposed to be better than me. So how dare their work not be at least my level? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I miss stuff. I flag things that I misunderstand. I flag things that the author has to go, no, that's here's what I mean, and, and this thing refers to that. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I'm the best and they're the worst. I just thought those people were better than me. And it hurt. It hurt to sit down and sit with that feeling and realize, oh, they're not better than me. Then why the hell am I not more successful? And realizing in that moment that the reason I'm not successful is not because they're better than me or not better than me. It's because I've been holding myself back because I would get scared because 
it takes time to, to sit down and look for work and people will say no and they'll struggle and I'll be expensive and people will have resistance to that because it sounds like it's all fun, well and good when it's free. But when it turns into something where it's like, Hey, do you have, you know, $39 for my time? All of a sudden when it shows up and turns into work, people struggle with that because it becomes embarrassing or risky and they, they don't necessarily immediately jump for it. I've been holding myself back. Those people weren't as good as me. I'm better than I thought I was. Those are hard feelings to sit with. That's difficult stuff. It's not that dissimilar from that writerly position of, hey, I think everybody else writes better than me. Other people are more successful than me. They're selling more books. They're finishing sooner than I am. They're getting you know, pimps, agents, they're, they're getting sales, they're moving forward and I'm stuck here spinning my wheels. I must be shit compared to them. It's not that different, but I can tell you if you sit down and you look at it critically, not trying to knock them down, not trying to pull them off the pedestal so that you can, you know, build a pedestal even higher for yourself, but just look at it critically and get some feedback as to what it is everybody else is doing. Maybe you'll find out, like I have, that they're not better than you and you're not starting from some position of great deficit. I, I, it, I, it's hard to explain. It's sort of like discovering that this whole time you've really had these two extra limbs and they've just been sitting there. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not bad and different. I'm, I'm actually as capable, if not more so. It's discovering facility. The thing you thought was so easy was easy because you're good at it, not just because everybody else is so much better. It was weird and exciting and humbling all at once. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still chewing on it because by all accounts, from everything I can tell, even the grifteriest person who's selling the most scammiest scam stuff, they seem like nice people. They might have, you know, no moral code or backbone. They might be pieces of shit to others, but they've always been nice to me. And they've always struck me as somebody who, you know, while willing to sell snake oil to people who are desperate, uh, they've, they've always seemed like they're not actively malevolent. And now to discover that the people who I always thought were better than me and, and greater and good and, you know, idealized, are, are, are not, and that I've been holding myself back this whole time is, is a tough thing to sit with. One of the things I want to do going forward in 2024 is, is push the envelope a little, not roll out. My mistake is always saying I'm going to do that and then taking overly aggressive swings with products and materials and setting unrealistic expectations that I burn myself out on because I don't recognize limitation or difficulty and I am too quick to either fully commit or fully run away. It's hard, really hard. So instead of setting these big giant lofty goals of like, I'm going to roll this thing out a month or whatever, that's not going to work for me because I know me, I'll freak myself out and stop. So what I'm going to say instead is this in 2024, I'm just going to work a little harder at being nicer to myself and giving myself more of a chance to do more things, 
which means putting myself in a position where I'm doing more of the stuff I like. And maybe that means I'll be doing less of the stuff I don't like. And right now that looks and sounds like a lot more podcasting and a lot more cameraless, you know, workshops and streaming and a lot less long form writing because I've, I've moved away from long form writing. It makes my hands hurt at some points and I don't always have a, a, a lot to say in print, but you get a microphone in front of me and you ask me a question and I, and I've been talking now for 24 minutes, for instance. So I want to put myself in a better position to succeed. And I hope that this lesson, I hope that me talking for as long as I've been talking about the stuff I've been talking about is coming across to you in a way, not because I'm saying, oh, those other people suck, fuck them. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying instead, hey, if you're somebody who thinks that everybody else is better and you're somebody who's been holding yourself back because you're scared and you're somebody who thinks that no matter what you do, everybody else is going to be 10, 20, 30 steps ahead of you, please understand that it's very possible that you're wrong. And on the, on the basis of the idea that you could be wrong and they might not be better than you and you might be better than you give yourself credit for, you should develop a plan to do something about it and put yourself in a better position to do more. Just give it a try. And I'm hoping that along the road in 2024 and as we wrap up 2023, you and I both are willing to give each other far more of a chance to be in a position to do better and do more. I will talk to you on Tuesday, December the 26th. Give this some thought. I love you. Talk soon. See ya.